Welcome, everybody. I'm Isha Das, the spiritual director of the Assisi Institute. And I want to welcome you also to another podcast in the series of Wrestling with God. I am absolutely thrilled to have as my guest today, my good friend and spiritual brother, Chris Knuth. And I really see Chris as a very, uh, as a very enlightened, a very evolved human being. He is a practicing yogi, and he is deep and very faithful in his spiritual practices in the context of Kriya Yoga. But he's also a very successful entrepreneur and a very successful humanitarian. And he walks the talk and has been through his own transformational experience and continues to grow and evolve and transform. I'm not quite sure where our talk is going to go today, but I know it's going to be a, a really good talk. So, Chris, it's wonderful to have you. Let me just give a little bit of an introduction more formally. Uh, for over 27 years, Chris has been in the automobile business. He's the owner of Star Motors European Service. In 2014, he started Stars Motor, Star Motors Apprenticeship Program training people, giving them job skills to be successful in the automotive industry. And in 2020, he started another program working with uh, people in recovery, working with people who have been incarcerated, people coming out of the military and giving them training again to be successful in the automotive industry. So Chris, it's wonderful to have you with us. Anything you want to add to my introduction? And if I got something wrong, please feel free to correct me. <laughs> no, uh, thank you, Ishidas. It's it's really great to be here with you as well. And um, gosh, uh, I just feel really fortunate that I was able to uh, meet you a couple of years ago and and to stay in touch and to, like you said before, uh, grow together. You know, walk this uh, walk this path together. Uh, everything you said was accurate, and um, as far as what I do in the in the world for for work, and um, yeah, I'm happy to to be here to to talk about uh, wherever we're led to take this. So, let me ask you this question: How do you explain yourself? And <laughs> what I mean by that is, um, I also want to mention that. Chris is married and he's a father and a grandfather, right? Yeah. How do you explain yourself? And what I mean by that is clearly you are living a full, robust, uh, human and spiritual life. You're successful. How do you, how do you explain that? Mm. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is that um, my life has gotten so much larger um, as I've started to grow spiritually. And, and I think that, um, and, and I see that happen to a, a lot of people when we go from selfishness uh, towards more of a selfless uh, life of, of being of service. And um, I just think that our lives get bigger and our capacity to live them grows along with it. Um, so I just feel like uh, I'm just doing what um what i'm guided to do 
And um, again, practicing non-attachment, you know, taking action and just letting um, letting it go where, where it goes. And, and some doors close and new doors open. And I just try to do my best to be aware of which direction is open to me. And um, just one foot in front of the other. So you, you mentioned a number of things that I think have a lot of depth. Uh, one of them was you follow the guidance. Can you talk about what you mean by guidance and how you avail yourself to that guidance? And I, and I just want to underscore this, because even though you're doing great things, and again, I, I, I think you are a wonderful example of a truly spiritual, good man, um, the same energy, the same intelligence, the same grace that is uh, propelling you is really available to every person. Mm -hmm. So if you could say a little bit about, again, what you mean by guidance and how you tap into that. So the reason, one of the reasons I love working with people in recovery is because I feel like when life gets so bad, it just starts to close in on us and it's there's a you know in recovery it's called the gift of desperation and i just think that when people are in that position they they are the most open and available to a spiritual awakening and i think that in addiction and living life on the self-will it, it takes a it takes a great deal of intensity to keep that all going and when that gets uh when that intensity in that willpower yogananda talks a lot about the power of the will when it's directed in in the proper direction uh really enables us to do incredible things and so i really love working um in that area because i just see people grow the fastest and um when it comes to guidance uh one of my mentors had a saying and it was ready fire aim and i I really love that because getting ready is, you know, surrounding ourselves with the right people or the right information. Uh, it may be sitting in silence and meditation. There, there's a lot we can do to be ready. And then fire is to apply that. You know, another mentor was arguing one day about knowledge being power. And he assured me that knowledge wasn't power. And then uh, I finally stopped trying to... Uh, convince him. And I asked him, well, what does he mean by that? And he said that knowledge is potential power. Mm. And that really stuck with me because if, if knowledge is potential power, it doesn't turn into uh, real power until we have the experience of applying it. And so for me, the guidance is, is getting still, getting quiet. Um, there could be an idea, there could be an inspiration. There, there's a spark of something and then I fire, I take aim, or I, I take action on it, and then I see where it lands. You know, did it land over here? Did it land over there? And then I just continue to follow this intuition or this inspiration while taking action and dialing the steps in till I, till I find a way forward. And then sometimes the door closes, and that's okay too. And um, I just know that when a door closes, if I'm aware and my eyes are open to it, another door will open and I'll just walk up to it and see what's there. Um, talking a lot, you know, just telling people what you're doing, uh, what you're involved in, um, just the same as I did to you a couple of years ago. 
I was like, hey, you should ask. I uh, heard you talk about recovery. I work with lots of addicts and alcoholics and I do this and I do that. And well, here we are a couple of years later uh, talking about it again. So I, I just try to tell people uh, what I'm doing, what um, what I'm inspired to do. And then I let the the resources and the people and the opportunities um, just fall into line. That's wonderful. Let's un we can just unpack a little bit of what you were saying. So I, I'm going to take liberty here, but I think you pretty much outed yourself. So you're a recovering person, like yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Nine years of sobriety as of November. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, and you, I don't know if you use this term, but you talked about hitting bottom. Mm -hmm. And and there's something about. I think it's a universal experience. I think. Uh, recovering addicts and alcoholics have a PhD in it and they have a lot to teach the rest of us. But it's a universal experience that in some way, shape, or form, if we are truly going to evolve and reach our full potential, there has to be some kind of breakdown, breakthrough. I, you know, one of the things I am, I often will say is that nervous breakdowns are highly underrated forms of spiritual transformation. But somehow we have to hit a wall Sure. Um, where we let go of this imagined control, this imagined wisdom, this imagined power that we think we have so that something bigger can break through. Does that make sense? Yeah, it sure does. And I'm sure, because I know you, and it's not just something that happened once upon a time. I mean, there's a big hitting bottom. But I know that that Every day, there's a there's a kind of humility and emptiness you have that I think avails you to the kind of knowledge that you talked about. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I know that part of that is your meditation practice. The other thing that you said that, again, I think is so wise, how did you say it? It's ready, shoot, and aim. That my, in my own experience, that, that an inspiration, that's the word I will use, will come. And if I sit on it, and I have sat on inspirations more than I would like to admit, nothing happens. Yeah. But when I have the courage and faith in divine providence to act on something, it doesn't always turn out how I think it's going to turn out. Mm -hmm. But the metaphor I use, it's like Velcro. When you take the risk and you shoot, you put it out there, you talk about it, you experiment, it gives... It's Velcro in the sense that it gives God and other people something to stick to and to build on so that yeah. it's not enough. You're right. It's not enough to have the knowledge, the insight, but then to act on that. Does that make sense? Yes, it creates momentum. Yes. How would you explain? I guess I'm asking you to explain yourself a lot today. How do you explain that momentum? So a lot of people have great ideas. And like you said, they, they never become actualized because either they'll get analysis paralysis, they'll sit in the ready mode way too long, or they'll feel like, well, I'm not prepared for that. Or uh, why me? Or, you know, gosh, that's, that's a, a, it's a big, it's a big thing to accomplish, you know, and they feel possibly inadequate. So when we talk about power, when, when we get to the bottom, what, what usually happens is we find that life on our own power is insufficient. It just stops working. It works until it doesn't work. 
And when it doesn't work, it usually looks messy and we get confused and we get upset and there's all kinds of drama that comes from that. But eventually, uh, if we stay in that place long enough, we get to the point um, where we need more power, right? And so the momentum comes from, I think, from attuning ourselves to whatever this power is. Um, you know, I don't try to figure out what God is anymore. Uh, just, just doesn't seem to make sense. But when I attune myself to to the flow of life, to the process of life, to 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 nature, and into um, just this momentum that life itself has, when I just attune to that and just kind of catch a ride with that, then the momentum picks up, and um, then I seem to have the power I didn't know I had. And that comes through taking the action. And then another great thing is people come to help us. When we talk about what we're doing, we talk about our vision, um, it starts to attract people that that resonates with them and they want to be a part of that. And then it then it creates a movement, you know, and uh, today's Martin Luther King Jr. today day. There, there was a movement there, right? That started with inspiration. And the more we talk about it and the more we apply ourselves and avail ourselves to that power, the more it grows. All right. So let me, you, again, you're saying so much. I'm going to try to unpack some of it. Let's just start with the, with the word God. What I say to people is God is the word we use to describe what can't be described, but because we're human beings, we will, we have to, we can't not try, but God is the word we use to describe the highest good that we can possibly imagine and beyond. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to apply that to what I think you were saying. Uh, that highest good isn't just a, a theoretical uh, construct. It's not just something ethereal. It is literally a force. You can call that force love. You can call it a lot of different things, but it is that that highest good is a force in within time and space and within creation that if we cooperate with it, it becomes the wind at our back and yeah. takes us, empowers us in a way that we couldn't ever possibly empower ourselves. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think something you mentioned about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King has always been one of my personal heroes, uh, and we're celebrating his life today. He surrendered himself to that power, to that highest good, to that force, and it became the wind at his back. And I like to tell people, again, at one level, his work is not done, or the work is not done. But he helped to bring about a revolution in the United States without firing a single shot. Yeah. Um, that's that's that potential in that power. And the good news is we all have, and I'm going to use some computer language and I'm probably going to, you know, mess it up. But we all have an apt for that highest goodness. We all have an apt for that divine power. We just have to learn to develop it. And I, again, what I love, Chris, about what you said. It's, it comes from your own sense of powerlessness at the egoic level. 
It comes from listening, but then it also comes from taking the steps so that that power, that force has something to work with in our lives. Sure. Yeah, we, we have to clear the, the things that are blocking us from, from the power. Yes. Really. And um, I think for a lot of people that have great ideas, that, that fear of taking action, you know, um, it's like being a parent. Like, how much can you prepare for that? It's yeah. just all of a sudden it's game day. And everything you learned typically goes out the window. And uh, you, you have to just... Um, you know, utilize the resources at hand and, and, and you end up doing it, right? We're, we're, we end up able to do it and the, the kid lives and, and goes out into the world and does amazing things, right? So part of it's us getting out of the way and just trusting that that power will be there. Um, and that's, that's where a lot of people shrink. That's where they they say no. And, it, and it's too bad because we all have that app. We all have that ability. Not all of us are willing uh, or just crazy enough to to step off that cliff and see where it takes us. Yes. So I would imagine, and this may be helpful for everyone listening, that there are moments that before you take that step, there's there's not there's more than just a little trepidation or anxiety. Of course. Can you talk about that and how you deal with that, that, you know, resistance, how you cross that threshold, because uh, it's, it's going to be there for all of us. And no matter how old we are, how experienced we are in life or spirituality, there's always going to be a new threshold. And with that threshold, it's going to come some, again, anxiety. So how do you do it obviously you do walk through the threshold of fear sure i just ask myself and i ask others have you learned more through your success or through your failure wow Say some, that's pretty profound say some more about that i've never had anyone say they learn more through their success success doesn't even usually get acknowledged we just move right through it don't even recognize it but failure Failure is uh, an interesting teacher. And so um, every time you do something and you take action, and if it fails, well, you're one step closer to success. You'll have the experience that failure doesn't kill you. Uh, it makes you why That's where wisdom comes from. That's where, um, that's where skillfulness comes from. So uh, failure is an amazing teacher. I, I'm just not afraid to fail. Um, so I'm able to just get out there and do it. And, um, you know, someone said, or it's known that public speaking is like the, the, the biggest, scariest thing that humans can do. And I, I used to think about that. I'm like, what, what is it with uh, public speaking that would be so scary? And really all it is, I think, is that we're afraid of what other people will think of us. And they're usually people we'll never see again. I thought, wow, that's silly. Who cares? And so I, I just uh, again lost. Um, uh, just stopped caring what other people think um, for the most part. And um, there's a, a lot of people also that are afraid to take action, and they're afraid for to see other people take action too. Right? They're like, oh my gosh, you shouldn't be doing that. Or um, so I, I, I try to just 
put that into perspective. And again, like if I'm going to fail, I'm going to gain wisdom. I'm going to have an experience. And that's the difference between theoretical knowledge and experiential knowledge is, yeah. is the application process. I just don't worry about that anymore. Yeah, I think experiential knowledge morphs into wisdom, which is priceless. Absolutely. You remind me of a, of a conversation I had with some people may be familiar with Father Richard Rohr. He's a Franciscan priest and uh, kind of amazing. He hasn't been kicked out of the Catholic Church yet. He's quite a, quite a mystic and quite a prophet. But he said this to me years and years ago. We were talking about God, and, and he said, where is it written that thou shalt not make mistakes? Mm-hmm. He said, God is fine with us making honest mistakes because we learn from them. Mm-hmm. And then he said, if there's anything that God can't tolerate, and, and not, you know, and he, he's talking symbolically, not literally, but if there's anything that God can't tolerate, it is the unwillingness to make a mistake, the unwillingness to try something you haven't tried before. Sure. But I remember how liberating it was the first time I'd ever heard that, that God has no problem with our honest mistakes because from them come wisdom. And even our mistakes give God something, this divine intelligence, this power. It gives it, gives it something to work with in our lives. Sure. One of my favorite stories from the Jewish scriptures is the story of Abraham. And I'm going to update it a little bit. He was relatively old, living in his father's, uh, within his father's tent and herds. And so what I like to say, he was like a 30-something playing video games in his father's house all day. (laughs) And one day God says, Abraham, I got this job for you to do, and I'm going to tie this into you in a moment, this one piece. Uh, And it wasn't for Abraham. He said, I'm going to build a great nation through you. Your life is no longer about you. It's about those that are going to come after you. And I want you to leave your father's protection, your little narcissistic womb, and I want you to go. I'm not going to tell you where, where you're going. You just have to put one foot in front of the other, and we'll figure it out together as we go along. Um, everything you're describing reminds me of that, and I want to tie it into a specific piece of your work, and that's your humanitarian work. You're not doing that, just like Abraham wasn't ultimately doing it for him. He had a pretty comfortable life before God, you know, knocked on his door. Your humanitarian work, you're not doing that for others, or you're not doing it for yourself, rather. You're doing that for others. And I think think the intelligence and the love that runs everything, the more we live the way you're living your life— it can begin to work miracles through us. Mm. It can do things that we couldn't otherwise, it allows us to do things we couldn't otherwise do. Mm. You have some thoughts about that. Yeah, I do. Um, I teach a a class to entrepreneurs twice a week uh, on getting out of our own way. I was in Nashville last week uh, teaching sessions at at an automotive uh, conference of uh, shop owners from across the, the US and Canada. And my my session was on um, mindset to vision and, and what that is. And a lot of us are, are we have the fear, right? We, t- we talked about walk, jumping off that cliff, right? 
and taking that that step into the unknown. And there's there's a fear there. And what happens is, is just think back on all the times you've worried about something. All the times we spend in our head in fear and we imagine that it's going to be a certain way. But when we actually get to the other side of whatever scary event that was, we usually shrug and be like, oh, you know, gosh, that wasn't so bad, right? How hard was that? Uh, all the things I thought were going to happen didn't happen, right? So I think it's important to keep that in our mind. All the experiences we that we have of going through fear and through worry, 99% of the time, it never happened the way we thought it would. Something, there was always a silver lining if we were looking for it. And so um, when it comes to vision, um, the idea of leadership starts to come into the play, right? And so I think that as we as we take these ideas and these inspirations and we start to carry them out into the world, uh, I was concerned about like, what is leadership? What, what are all these things? But what I found is, is when I just was clear on what I was doing, what the, um, and for me, like when it comes to the nonprofit work, I realized in my own business Yes, we're fixing cars, but what we're really doing is we're providing an experience for the customer that is far beyond what they ever expected. And, and when I focus on the customer and delivering this experience, then I need to bring people into the organization and provide them opportunity. See, the one thing leaders do and entrepreneurs do, and the reason why small businesses are so hard and they don't grow is because we have this idea of control. We have this idea that if we can manage every single aspect of it, it's going to turn out great. But the truth is, in my own experience, I would hire great people and then they would leave my company. And I was wondering why that might happen. And what I found was, is that I was actually causing that because of my own fear. And so now when I, when I look at building an organization, I'm providing opportunity for the people who uh, use our services, providing opportunity for those who are the service providers, and through leadership and empowering the team and being willing to let them fail because failure is an, a great teacher, what happens is, is the team will start to trust you as a leader. There's room for them to fail as long as we use that failure constructively, right? And what happens is when we debrief that, people can then see where things went wrong and then owning their part in it, we start to move forward. And what happens is we start to create an organization of leaders and that's how organizations can grow, right? And that's how people can bring their own unique skills and abilities and talents. And for me, I, I love to watch that in action. It's amazing. And that's really why I do it is because I just think it's so much fun. I'm constantly surprised and just blown away at what people can do when they're in an environment where they feel like they can be themselves. And the more authentic we all are, the greater the organization is and the, the more it grows and the more its reach gets expanded. So there's two things you said that really caught me. The first thing is, and if I'm misrepresenting you, I'm putting it in my own words, please tell me. You encourage people 
to use their gifts and their talents. You encourage people to, to take a risk and it's okay to make mistakes. Oh yeah, it's the best. Right, so then they're free to bring their best to a situation, they learn from the mistakes and then they become a more productive partner with you and a more productive employee and it builds their self-esteem. Oh, they become better husbands, wives, parents, leaders in their in their own capacities. It's incredible. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing some something someone told me a long time ago. This person, he said to me, you know that you're in the presence of a true spiritual teacher, no matter what the context is. You're in the presence of a true spiritual teacher because they don't make you dependent on them, ultimately. They empower you to experience your own divinity, to grow that divine spark inside of you so that they won't need you as a teacher. That's right. Yeah. The second thing you said, and I don't think we, we always think about this, that watching that process, mentoring people, it makes you happy. Very, yeah. Yeah, that I think mentoring somebody in the spirit that you're talking about it, really empowering them to be their highest and best self, is probably one of the most meaningful things we can do in a lifetime. Yeah. But I can't think of anything more meaningful than that, more powerful than that. Yeah. Let me go back to today being uh, the day we celebrate the life of Martin Luther King. And I was listening to a speech he gave to junior high students. And he was talking to them about having a, a, a high, noble blueprint for their lives. And what he said is, and I'm going to apply this to you. He said, some of us, not everybody's going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Some people will, it'll be their fate to be a street sweeper. But what he said was sweep with the same spirit that Michelangelo created art. Sweep with the same spirit uh, that a great musician creates music sweep with the same spirit that Shakespeare created poetry. And if he said that you do that, it's a powerful metaphor. He said, the angels will from heaven will come and walk on your streets. Mm -hmm. um, so again, what I'm hearing you say, it's, it's, it's bringing your best self to every, everything you do, every responsibility, every interaction, do it with the same spirit that, again, Michelangelo did in making great art. And that creates, I think, a momentum that takes you and the people around you to a higher and higher level. Yeah. That's when we're tapped into the stream of life. Yes. Into the flow of life. All, all of the work that's out there to do is meaningful. Yes. It's, it's the spirit in which we do it. Um, I was in uh, Kigali, Rwanda, and the people there actually sweep the streets with brooms. It's incredible. It, it's one of the cleanest. And there's such a spirit uh, of love and devotion to sweeping the streets. It's, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. 
Well, let me tell you a, a personal story. This is probably 35 years ago. Uh, I had a wonderful first meditation teacher, and he was actually a recovering alcoholic also. So he treated me like I was his sponsoree. So every morning I had to call him. Hmm. And one morning he said to me, because he knew I was a little bit loose with the details of life, not disciplined. And he said to me, did you make your bed today? And I said, no. He said, well, are you going to make it? And I said, are you my mother? And he hung up on me. Mm -hmm. So I made the bed and I called him the next day. And he said, did you make the bed? And I said, yes, I made the bed. Why is that so important? And he said to me, if you can't do those simple things with, with responsibility and focus, he said, I'm not going to teach you the bigger meditation techniques because you will misuse them and you, they won't work for you anyways. And it was just, it was a very important lesson that he taught me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you shared that. That reminds me of something that I, I talk a lot about um, when it comes to growing a business. A lot of business owners have aversions to certain tasks, right? Mine was marketing. I didn't like marketing. Uh, I do a, a, new, a newsletter, have done one for many, many years. I didn't like doing the newsletter. I didn't like recruiting didn't like hiring. And, and I would talk about it. And I would tell people how I didn't like it. But what happened is, is one day I realized that these things that I didn't like to do, if I could change my attitude a tiny bit, because I realized the only difference between having a good time and a bad time was what I was thinking about it, the story I was telling myself. So I decided to go in it with a different attitude. And I, I went into these tasks that I didn't like for a couple of reasons. One, I realized that they were the keys to my freedom. Because in entrepreneurship, what I wanted, where I wanted to go is I wanted to be able to create a company that would run without me. And I would have the freedom to do whatever it is I wanted to do, right? So I had this idea of freedom. The other thing here is, is that when I look at aversions, and if I ask myself, hey, is it possible that I could have a new experience with this. And then it might not be as bad as I think, right? Uh, I could actually even have fun with it. And when I started to go to these things I didn't like doing with the attitude of joyfulness and finding joy in it, I found it. It was there. And the more I surrendered to that process and the more I went into these things I didn't like doing, they started to turn into the things I liked doing. These happen to be the things that I absolutely love doing now. And when it comes to recruiting and hiring, now I have a vision. I, I can get people excited about being on board with something that's going somewhere. It's incredible. And so all these little aversions, all these things we don't like, it, it, it's all right here. It's all in our mind. And, and all we have to do is choose to see it differently. All right, so something implicit in what you said, and I, I talk about this a lot, and, I, and it's something I consistently work on in my own life. What are the stories that we have uh, that really don't align with reality in any sort of you know clear or absolute sense? There's stories that we live by, but they don't. There's stories that inhibit our growth, our success. Uh, our evolution. So being able to identify those stories that don't work and then the courage to let go of those stories 
And, and for me, this is the paradox. When I let go of these stories, then there is a new level of knowledge or wisdom, not, not, not a, a story per se, but really an intuition and insight bubbles up that allows me to move forward. So I think being able to identify the stories that inhibit you, that limit you is very important uh, yeah. in the spiritual life. And in, in, in the business life, in every area of life, yeah, it's life. Um, but the it's it's the internal and the external dialogue. I, I just started really becoming aware of my words. Yes, words have the power. They they have so much power um, to destroy, to create, what have you. And so I started to become very very conscious of the, the story I was telling myself, the words I was say, saying to myself, and then the words I would say out to other people. Yes. Right? And so with that awareness, eventually came the ability to choose. Yes. Most people don't realize that. If, if, we're, if we are meditating, holding some degree of stillness and watchfulness, we can actually choose the thoughts we can choose to reject certain thoughts, not feed them. And then we can choose the thoughts that are helpful, that are aligned with truth, beauty, and goodness. And those thoughts have power. They're not just, again, they're not just uh, cognitive concepts. They're, their thoughts are energy forms mm -hmm. that will bless us or curse us. Yeah. So I, I don't think a lot of people realize that over a period of time, with all of these disciplines and practices, that we get to choose the thoughts and we can choose thoughts that emerge from the silence. They emerge from the eternal presence. They emerge from the source of all wisdom. We get to choose those over a period of time and they really do change our lives. Uh, I remember something, uh, again, a, a mentor said many years ago to me, he said, don't say things that weaken you. Right. He said, it's okay to acknowledge when you messed up you know, where your imperfections are, but don't say things that weaken you or take away from your human dignity, because then that will set into motion a whole negative series of consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is the practice of being the witness. Yes. You know, being able to see how these thoughts, how these words, how this language aligns with where we're trying to go. Yes. Right? So keeping but, that, that pole star... Yes. And you know, it's in my experience has been it's not always comfortable witnessing. I, no, I had of course not. I had something happen a week or so ago. I've really been since Thanksgiving uh following an Ayurvedic kind of diet and lifestyle. I've been doing very good. But I had something that day that really, really bothered me earlier in the day. And when I got home at night and was with my wife Vicky the urge to raid the refrigerator was really great. Now, I knew I wasn't hungry. I knew it had to do with some emotional discomfort. And I was able to stand back and watch it. But there was, there was a little bit of time where the watching it was uncomfortable. But if you can just stay in that watchfulness, opening to a higher grace, a higher intelligence, to, your, to the wisdom of your own soul, the discomfort will pass, and then you have the freedom to choose a whole different way forward. Right. We start to become comfortable in discomfort 
And that kind of takes us back to the very beginning here. The, the more comfortable we are being in fear, the more comfortable we are with the possibility of failure, the more uncomfortable, the more comfortable we get in, in observing discomfort and, and just being present to it. it. It's when we push it off that it keeps coming back, right? Yes. Cycling back. But if we can just accept it, it's like, all right, this is super uncomfortable. Um, I'm going to stay present to this process. And I believe that's when the lessons are learned and we don't have to keep going through the same, same things. Absolutely. And you reminded me of something I just heard recently that the vast, vast majorities of our fears are mental. Yeah, they're all mental. Danger is external. So if you're walking through the woods and a big bear confronts you, there's the experience of danger is real. Sure. But the fear are the stories we tell ourselves around our circumstances, and they're just mental. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> there's a lot of talk of this today, right? Um, when we are constantly stuck in that fight or flight response, it makes us sick. It makes yes. us sick mentally, physically, spiritually. Um, I think now more than ever, there's all these ailments and diseases that no no one can put their finger on what they actually are. And, and I believe it's just the the um, psychophysical response to stress and to fear and all these things. And I think that as we learn to manage these things, we experience less stress. Right, we experience better health because we're in this state of equilibrium instead of being on high alert all the time. There was a study done years ago at the local university here, the University of Rochester. I think the researcher was Candace Pert. I think she's left the body since then. But what her research showed was every thought we think creates a neuropeptide, yeah. and if we think negative thoughts our body creates a neuropeptide that weakens our immune system. If we think loving and positive thoughts, then the body creates a neuropeptide that strengthens the immune system. I, I think we're gonna to move towards a close, Chris, but I wanna ask you one more question. And you and I share a lot of classes together, and I've heard you say this on a number of occasions. A lot of people listening are gonna be into yoga, into meditation, into spirituality. And one of the things that you stress that I just think is right on, and I'm going to use my own words and then you can respond, but I, I'm, I'm always uh, inspired by what you say, and again, using my own words, that our spiritual evolution, our spiritual enlightenment, our spiritual realizations are not just for us, but in some way, shape, and form, they're meant to be shared and given to others and the world as a gift. Uh, there's a notion that the Buddhists have that no one is liberated until everyone is liberated. Mm. Any final thoughts about that? Because I see that's how you live your life. Mm -hmm. I think um, this process that we've been talking about, um, my experience with it is it removes all the layers that block the light. You know, we all have the light. We just have varying amounts of debris, um, you know, uh, restricting the light, 
right? And so these, as we start to peel these layers of what we're not, uh, what we're left with is what we are, which which is light. And you know, if you look at the a lamp outdoors in the summertime, well, it it attracts, right? Um, the bugs are attracted to it, right? And I think that each of us have a unique signature of light that's attractive to other people, right? Some people are going to be attracted to us and other people are not, and that's okay. But if we're all um, owning that, right, and being that, then um, we can trust that the right people are around us. And, and we, you know, the world, as we talked about with jobs, like there's many, many jobs, there's many, many things that need to be done. And the more we let our own light shine, the more people feel like they can let theirs. And it's the ripple effect from that is is incredible. I think you're right on. Well, Chris, I, I have found this conversation to be very energizing. And I and I, I don't I don't say this lightly. One, I consider you uh, a dear spiritual brother, and I consider you a very bright light in the world. You're doing wonderful work. You inspire me, and I know you inspire many. Do you have a website or anything you want to share for people who might want to be interested in your work or get to know you better, anything like that? Um, yeah, our nonprofit is um, APAC ATI, and so it's spelled A P A C. ATI.org. Uh, you can go on the website. There's a contact form. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I don't do a whole lot of social media, but I'm on there. Um, but yeah, the quickest way is to go to APACATI.org. Um, you can send me a note through there and uh, be great to meet you. Wonderful, Chris. And those of you listening, if you like this podcast, please give it a like. If you want to share it, share it with somebody. I would appreciate that. If you want to subscribe, please subscribe, make a comment, please go ahead and do so. And again, Chris, I want to thank you very much. Uh, and we will talk soon. God bless you and God bless everybody tuning in. Namaste. Namaste.